0: On today's episode, Christy weighs in with an observation about compounding. I don't think that word means what you think it means. Viver has a question about frugal versus cheap, and Brad learns a life lesson from his daughter. Welcome to the ultimate crowdsourced personal finance show. This is your Friday Roundup.
1: You're listening to Choose FI Radio.
2: The blueprint for financial independence lives here.
1: If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online.
0: super excited to dive into this week's episode and talk about our takeaways with Mr. Money Mustache and Mr. 1500. And to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy?
1: Hey, Jonathan, I am doing quite well. Yeah, this is great. I love obviously talking with Carl and Pete just generally, but specifically about community. And I think this is something that you and I have spent considerable amounts of time really trying to foster both with the FI community, but maybe more importantly for our own local community.
0: Yeah, there was so much in that episode that I feel like is being mirrored in our own lives, maybe like a little bit after them, right? I mean, this is something that they started cultivating five, six, seven years ago in the case of Mr. Money Mustache. But as I was out on my driveway, uh, not sweeping into my pajamas, I was definitely thinking about the episode. And I realized that kind of what they've been able to do in Longmont, we've actually gotten very close to pulling off here in Richmond, Virginia. And, And I realized that like having time is awesome. Having free time is awesome. Having bandwidth in your life is awesome. But without community, it's kind of meh, you know, because then you're just kind of in this silo. If you can pull both of those off, if you can have them together, that's when you get total life freedom. That's when you realize that you have claimed the superpower. And we're living this right now. And we're kind of like at that precipice of saying, what do we want to do with that? Because it's a very exciting, like really exciting to start leaning into all the options that become available when you have both
1: of those time and community. Yeah, that really is the jackpot. There's no question about it. And and you and I have seen this just I'm mean, quite literally in the last week of our lives, which is really cool to be doing this at the same time as this episode launching is you just moved in right down the road from me. You live less than 2 miles from me now. It takes me, of course, I timed it because I'm a numbers geek. I, I can't <laughs> that's help <awesome>. it. <laughs> it takes me sub 5 minutes. I think I've done it in 4:15. That's the quickest. But I mean, that's that's amazing. That is a real game changer. And the cool thing now is We're doing these recordings in person every single time. Like I could have just stayed at home and done this Friday Roundup on Skype, but it's four minutes down the road. Why wouldn't I come over? I think another cool thing was we are now doing workouts in the mornings together. Instead of just each of us trying to get up the motivation to do it by ourselves at home, now we have this set schedule. We're gonna do Monday, Wednesday, Friday at either your house or my house at 6.45 in the morning, and it's just getting done. Our very first one was an amazing workout.
0: Yeah, and this is something that's been a big part of my life off and on, basically for the last decade plus, And it's something that after we met, I realized it's something that you're challenging yourself on. You were telling Pete that like lifting heavy weights just wasn't something you did until relatively recently. He almost called you on it. He's like, I'm rectifying it. Oh, it has a happy ending.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He was aghast when I, when I first said that, right? Absolutely. But I mean, you,
0: you have been over the last two or three years challenging yourself in different areas. You've done jujitsu and actually formed community around finding people to do this with you out of what's called a Gracie garage, which is like a budget friendly alternative to maybe a multiple hundred dollar a month membership you've done CrossFit and now with this, you know, we're finding a way to kind of get the best of both worlds. People pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month. I mean, like there's almost number, no number you can put on this for a personal trainer because at the end of the day, most of us lack motivation. Like in a vacuum, we lack motivation. The way to get around that is to replace motivation with dollars and basically have someone be that willpower for you. That's the value of a personal trainer. Honestly, it's likely the value, the vast majority of the value of CrossFit in that, You have this desire to show up for that tribe of people that you're doing this with and be that best version of yourself, hit that personal record because you're doing this with the tribe. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's been so compelling about the CrossFit model. There's also something to be said for finding an incredibly motivated workout partner, having that accountability partner, both for your fitness in this case, you know, because I just won't put I in a vacuum. I won't do burpees. I just, I never will do a burpee on my own. If you're doing this with someone that is holding you accountable and is pushing you to that next level, you'll do it. You will. And so that just having someone in your life to be that accountability partner, both for your fitness, maybe for a, your business, maybe in a mentorship role, mastermind, whatever that area of your life is, having community and having accountability will absolutely catapult the trajectory of your life.
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And also proximity really has a lot to do with this. It's creating this space where you have friends, family, wh- whomever, in that immediate vicinity of you. And and you've fostered this openness where you guys can get together. It's funny, I feel like I'm just kind of waltzing into your house now at this point. <laughs> like the door is open, you're giving me the garage code and all this stuff, It's it's amazing, right? And I expect you guys to stop over for, I don't know, happy hour, play a board game or whatever it is, fairly often and hopefully, now that we're doing this more often, we can get other people from the Choose High local group and other friends and family in the area to join us, right? And, and make it something that is just so much more regular. So yeah, I mean, to me, it's about just, just getting started. I think we see this a lot with our Choose High local groups. It's easy to have a one-off happy hour. That's great. You do that a couple times a year. That is certainly better than nothing. But having these things where it's not top-down, it's just... Individual members deciding to get together, hey, we're going to go for a hike today. And they shoot it into the Choose a Five local group that they're a part of, and a couple people come. And that in and of itself is a success. It doesn't need to be 40 or 50 people every time. It's just about establishing these relationships and doing things more often and just inviting people. Step out of your little comfort zone because I know I am held back by this all the time. I would love to see people more regularly. But I just, I don't reach out for whatever reason. I don't go outside of my comfort zone. And I think a big part of what we try to do here at Chooseify is, is to challenge those limiting beliefs, things that have held you back. And I know I'm trying to get better as a person every single day, every single week. And you just find these little things that, you know, I wish I was a little bit better at that. And I'm going to try. And, and Jonathan, honestly, just having you here is, is really making a difference. Your
0: quality of life has gone
1: up a notch since my arrival in your zip code. (laughs) (laughs) I I honestly was quite frightened at first, but yes, it's it's going to be a big, big positive.
0: (laughs) You just thought I'd be calling you seven times today. That's, hey, Brad, hey, Brad, I'm in your neighborhood because we're close. (laughs) 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 But, you know, I think why does this have to be limited to Longmont, Colorado or in Richmond, Virginia? Are these really the only epicenters? Like, no, uh, clearly not, right? But when you look at the common thread, what's happened there? is the conversation has been started. Alignment has been found from different people who didn't realize what they had in common and because they have this in common, right? This, this kind of tenuous financial independence bent, this intentionality, this focus on time, value, not necessarily on stuff, it allows them to explore all the other things that I think lead to a more fulfilling life.
1: Yeah, agreed. And this ties into a quote that Pete said, which was, when you change yourself, you're influencing your friends and your neighborhood. And just for example, walking your kids to school, if you're close enough, instead of driving, leads to a chain reaction where your friends are going to do it more, and you've improved the entire town. I just thought that was fantastic. And, and that really is exactly what you're talking about here. And he went on to say, I think the reason the idea of financial independence tends to spread by itself is because it's fundamentally right. It aligns with human nature. Whereas he said a lot of the consumption that he sees is against human nature. Right, It's stressful. Sitting in cars leads to your body atrophying and, and all these kind of things. So why does FI spread? Why do we feel so passionately about this? Because it is fundamentally right. And I, and I love that. I've never used those words, Jonathan. I've never thought about it that way. But that is how I feel at the core of my being about this life that we're living.
0: Yeah, this path that we're on that we've chosen is fundamentally right. You think about it for an hour. You just sift through it. You look for the cracks and then you're like, there, there are none. There's no downside to having more options in your life. There's no downside to reclaiming your time and taking, taking the time that was maybe allocated to someone else's goals or a corporation's goals or whatever, and balancing that with your own goals for your life, your own goals for your family and saying, I'm not going to sacrifice my prime years for the sole purpose of increasing shareholder profit. I'm not a cog in the machine. I'm a human being with a life that I want to live. And I don't want to wake up 60 years from now and say, What happened? Where did that time go? What we're doing here, uh, ostensibly with the information that's being provided by our guests, is just providing you the tools, the levers that other people have pulled to give themselves the choice. If you have the choice and then you choose to go back to work because it lights you up, because you're passionate about it, because it is an intentional part of the life that you want to live, great. I suspect that for 70% plus of the population, we just do because it's harder to think about what we actually want to do. Let's make sure that we build a framework that allows us to make an intentional decision. If it's work, I'm not trying to take that away from you. Brad's not trying to take that away from you, but give yourself the choice.
1: Yeah. And I thought this was cool that Pete said, just the FI life is like a 60 year university free form class. It helps you explore what makes a good life. And I just thought that's a really deep, deep thought, right? He says, Worry is a waste of time, and there's nothing to worry about. And this is coming from a person who described himself as a worry-prone person. There's nothing to worry about. And and I thought, Jonathan, that tied in perfectly to the article that both Pete and Carl mentioned as their favorite article, which is on mrmoneymustache.com. It's The Practical Benefits of Outrageous Optimism. And I have to say, I had not read this until after these guys mentioned it to us. And I went back, and it really tied in exactly to how I have adapted to look at life at this point. And I I think it's really, really important. We have a choice and we design our realities inside our own brains. I know that this is kind of a weird thought, but when you actually sit back and think about it, any of your moods, any of how you relate to other people, are you having a good or bad day? Is the weather good or bad? These are all constructs. Just because it's raining doesn't mean it's bad. You can go out and frolic in the rain, and that could be fantastic, right? I love right? it like, when you use the word frolic. I love it so much. <laughs> but it's amazing, right? Like we construct reality in our own heads. And this is what Pete's saying about outrageous optimism. If you have the choice to be outrageously optimistic or horribly pessimistic, why wouldn't you choose optimism? And this actually ties into a quote that that I think I've seen attributed to Einstein, which is, the most important decision we make is whether we believe we live in a friendly or a hostile universe. And this this ties in exactly. It's how do you see the world? If you're looking for bad things, if you're looking for little slights, if you're looking for reasons why your life stinks or you have bad luck, you're gonna find them. You're gonna find them very, very easily, and you're gonna see them everywhere. Or if you're looking, alternatively, for great things, reasons why your life is amazing, and why you have good luck. It's all part of this reticular activating system that we have in our heads. It's its kind of like when you just go out and buy a new green Kia, you see hundreds of other green Kias on the road. You wow, run- <laughs>
0: I had no idea that green Kias were so popular.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure they are, honestly. I just kind of made that up. But Or why you hear your name in a crowded room if one person is talking. It's because your brain is set up to see these things. So why not set your brain up to see wildly positive things and and view life that way. I, I talk to my daughters about this all the time. This is maybe one of the keys to a successful life. Really, if you're looking for the negative, you're gonna find it. If you're looking for the positive, you're also going to find it. So why wouldn't you pick the positive? Isn't that just gonna lead to a better life? And obviously, Brad,
0: to your point, this isn't to say that the bad things don't happen, but it's how you have a choice when you're looking at how you're going to live the next 30 or 40 years. If, if you're only focusing on the bad stuff that's happening around you, then your path is going to reflect that. And it's probably going to end up being a lot more toxic for you than it needs to be. Is there a way for you to implement the outrageous optimism in spite, you know, all these things are going on. These things that really I have no control over. What I'm going to do is focus on what I can control. And I'm going to position myself to be ready when luck strikes. And there's a point that I think we've hit on lightly throughout, but I really want to, I want to nail it down right here. The pursuit of financial independence, it turns risk into opportunity. What would be risky for other individuals becomes opportunity for people that have bandwidth in their lives. Not necessarily someone that is at full fledged financial independence, but someone that has a savings rate, someone that is not one paycheck away from the financial cliff, someone that has room in their life to tackle new opportunities. And on top of that has implemented levels of outrageous optimism in their life they're going to see opportunities and they're going to be able to pick which ones they want to go for. I think this is a really, the mentality is a really, really big part of this. If you're going through life basically saying, I can't because I can't because I can't, then everything seems risky. And the first time you fail at something is confirmation of the inherent risk of life. Whereas if you're going through life viewing nothing but opportunities, every failure is an opportunity to fail forward. Every failure is you demoing something, like learning something from that and taking it into the next project. And there's this, uh, I, I think I read about it recently in Grant's book, and it was basically talking about Grant's book from Financial Freedom. He was basically saying that most business owners have a failure. Their business goes out of business, but it's not the whole story because most business owners that are ultimately successful have one or two businesses that didn't work ahead of that. And they, but because of that, they iterated out and they funneled their efforts into something that did work. That's the same story, but depending on whether or not you're going through life with outrageous optimism, you're going through life with life is scary. Life is toxic. Life is risky
1: will radically change the output of that effort. Yeah. Jonathan, the mindset, this is everything. Like we talk about with financial independence, the numbers, that's really the easy part. I mean, we don't at this point spend all that much time on the numbers here on the show. Obviously, we get bigger and on and and we do dive into things. But it's really the mindset around how do you build a successful life. I've talked at length on this show how I have come a really long way. I used to be a competitive type A personality, kind of zero-sum game, you have to win, that kind of stuff. And that's just not me anymore. And Unless it, you play him at ping pong.
0: <laughs> or, or connect I, four, right? I will just, des- yeah, connect four. I will destroy you. <laughs> <Yes>.
1: <laughs> Other than that,
0: though, I I agree. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, there, there still are a little bits Remnets. of it just, <laughs> buried within there. But, but this has not been easy for me. This has been a very, very long journey. And of course, like I said before, I'm constantly working. I am nowhere near a fully formed person here. I, I'm just, I'm doing the best I can. But- One thing that I've learned is how important the growth mindset is. So it's not, oh, I couldn't do that, I'm not the type of person that can sing, or or even my own limiting beliefs, right, with singing, or I could never run, or I could never do this, whatever it may be. like So many of us limit ourselves with this fixed mindset of I'm either good at X or bad at Y, and that's it. Whereas the growth mindset says, You can learn anything, you can do anything, you can try, right? You can just get a little bit better the next day. And that's all you can do. You might max out your potential. I'm never gonna sing like Sting, for instance. I I will never have that instrument, but can I get to the point where I'm content with the growth that I've had? Yes, absolutely. Karaoke master? Yeah, right? I mean, it's, (laughs) it's possible, it's possible. I really talk about these lessons with my daughters. And I think my daughter Anna has really internalized it. She is now 11 years old and she is coming into her own right as a person now. And, and it, it's amazing to see these lessons really, truly sink in. And, and I've talked before about her swimming. She's a very good swimmer. She really, you know, very solid at, at the Virginia state level. Like she's she's a very, very good swimmer. But what's interesting is there are, maybe four other girls in her practice group that are top 20 or 30 in the whole country. So she literally sees these girls on a daily basis. I think at first, she almost had that fixed mindset where she said, man, I'm just not as good as them. I don't know what I can do. They're always beating me. I think then I actually saw the shift, Jonathan. It was amazing where you could see it on her face. Wow, maybe this growth mindset thing has something. What if I worked hard? Maybe I'm not going to be the best swimmer in Virginia at 11 or 12 or 13, but what would I have to do to get there when I'm 15 or 16? This at the time was a 10-year-old girl thinking this way. and She actually came up with this this phrase, and I had nothing to do with it. She came up with it on her own. She calls it building a brick in her wall. so She is building a wall of success not over a week or a month or a year, but over many years. What do I have to do today? What is one little thing I can do? So if she can swim the breaststroke in practice and they're doing repeats and the girl next to her is top five in the country, Anna can stick with her for maybe two lengths and then the other girl blows her away. Well, what if that brick she's building today is to stick with her for that third length? If you build a brick every single day at practice, four times a week, for five years, what is the upside of that going to look like? I mean, this is my 10-year-old daughter coming up with this phrase on her own to build this mindset of success. How can I be the best in five years? It's fascinating. And I now use this own language. So even though I taught her about this growth mindset, she's come up with this this phrasing that I use in my own brain. Jonathan, we talked before about working out. I think about building a brick in my wall. And it's just amazing to me that my young daughter taught me this. And and I use that really now on a daily basis.
0: And so someone's listening to this and they're like, well, you know, I'm listening to this for the first time I heard about you from a friend or from the playing with fire documentary or or whatever. And I feel stuck. Like I feel overwhelmed. What can I do? This snapshot is not where you're going to be five years from now. It's not going to be where you are 10 years from now. What if you say, what is one thing I can do today in my finances in my fitness, in my business acumen, whatever it is, in my career, what is one brick that I can put in the wall today that is going to give me the possibility, which is going to increase the odds of my success over a one-year, two-year, five-year period of time? If you look at that as each day, you're placing small bets, right? You're increasing the odds, the odds of success in any area of your life or all areas of your life. You know, with finances, it's so easy because with this one little amount of space, if we can just create even a small amount of space in our life, it makes everything else just a little bit easier, which is why we kind of think about financial independence. as like a unifying theory, almost like a an umbrella for life optimization and all these other aspects. You don't need to reach financial independence more. You don't need to get rich quick. But if you follow the tactics that we talk about on the show in the first 20 some odd episodes and really throughout kind of piecemealing them, if you go through the beginning and work your way through and you just pick something each week to implement, you just like many the thousands and thousands of other people that have kind of been on that journey over the last two years are going to look up and say, wow, my life's better. (laughs) This is objectively better. I'm in the best health I have ever been. My net worth has tripled over the last six months, over the last year on top of that, my career, I've never been happier. Things are working for me because I realized that over the past six months, I've been able to reclaim the autonomy. I've been able to reclaim levels of control. And I realized that I'm increasingly working to a place where my employer needs me more than I need them. How does that transform your life when you go and you make a small request or even a large request? And then on top of that, you can just start just You see how now that snowball, which has, it seemed like it was working against you. It seemed like it was an uphill battle. Every single week was a question mark about how you were going to reach, maybe just getting that credit card debt paid off. Now, suddenly you realize that life is working in your favor, that the power of outrageous optimism is carrying you to a better place. And you have placed enough small bets that the likelihood of success is nearly guaranteed.
1: Yeah. And you have to take action. You cannot just sit by idly and expect things to get better. So going back to just the fundamentals of financial independence, as we see this, this is not about deprivation. It's not about even frugality. It's about intentionality, and it's about taking action. So if you're at a point where you're just finding out about the financial independence community, and maybe you've read some articles, you see people scrimping and saving on brown bananas and things like this. That's not what this is about at all. That makes for a cutesy story in a a newspaper. But this is about transforming your life from the inside and then taking action and making it happen. So if you're at a point where you're at a 0% savings rate, you're spending all your money, or even negative, right? You're in debt, you're going into debt every single month. That's not sustainable, obviously. So what do you need to do? What does someone need to do when they find financial independence? They need to be honest with themselves. They need to get everything on a sheet of paper, on Excel, whatever it is. What's your monthly inflows? What are your outflows? What's your net worth? How, many, how much do you owe? Get it on paper and then decide, what do I value? Where should I go from here? Right. You have to take action. I'm not telling you to eat rice and beans every night and sell your house and live in a studio apartment. That's not how this works. I know people that have made that choice and are very happy with (laughs) it, right? (laughs) I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure they are. And that's the cool thing. That's actually, I know you're joking, but this is very personal. There are also no rules of financial independence in my eyes. It's whatever works for your life. There are hundreds of different things you can do, but you certainly have to do some of them to make your life better. I don't care which ones you do, honestly. I just care that you're intentional, that- you're taking action, and you're ultimately moving toward a better and happier life. And, and final thoughts on the episode
0: with Pete and Carl. I just I really appreciated how open they both were with their story, both kind of airing out their strengths, but then also really some of their perceived weaknesses, some things that they really struggled with. And, and in particular, Brad, you asked like this incredibly insightful question to Pete, saying, "Why are you so good at writing? Yeah. How how is that possible? You're you're an engineer. You're supposed to be a a stuffy you know numbers guy, but you're." writing just jumps off the page. And I was amazed at actually the insights with his answer.
1: Yeah, I was blown away. He said, but really I'm born from a long line of artsies, like sort of hopelessly disorganized writers, artists, musicians. I pay the price for that in terms of never being able to find my car keys and wallet. And in fact, I think early retirement was partly a coping mechanism for me in not wanting to stress in making money and keeping track of careers. I was like, why don't we just do this another way? Put it all on autopilot so I could focus on doing what I really want to do. The best part of that line was that he said, my secret is that I'm not really an
0: engineer, right? It reminded me of like Batman. Like if you, if you follow the Batman lore at all, you realize that Bruce Wayne, is really the alter ego. You know, Batman is his true identity and he has to go into Bruce Wayne. So like Pete, I mean, honestly, if you think about it for more than five minutes, Pete is clearly the Batman of financial independence. (laughs) (laughs) But the the larger point was, I I identified with his his point that early retirement and, and to extract from that, the pursuit of financial independence was a coping mechanism because he couldn't cut it in corporate life for long extended periods of time. And my own version of that carries through as well. Even when I was super excited to have my job, my job as a pharmacist, I was working there like a couple of weeks in, maybe a couple of months in. A couple of weeks in, I was still like, this is awesome. <laughs> but a couple of months in, I'm still like, oh, this is this, this is okay. We're here. <laughs> but I saw like pharmacists and other individuals in my field that were like 20 or 30 years in. And some of them looked like hell froze over, like <laughs> death froze over. And I realized that in many cases, There was no exit strategy, right? There was just, this is just what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it as long as I have to do it. Even then, I realized like, I'm not going to cut it in 30 plus, maybe 40 years of corporate life. There will always be a baseline exit strategy. So I have the option. And Brad, I see aspects of that mirrored in your own life as well. I recently uh, on your Facebook page, a friend of yours, Matt, posted a picture of you in college. So you're like, I don't know, late teens, maybe very early 20s and I saw that picture and I saw you now and I was like, you look like a different human being. And, and I mean this in a positive way. Like it's not, what, what's crazy about that is I've met, all of us have bumped into someone that we knew like 10 or 15 years ago and we said, whoa, what happened? And it's not a good thing, right? I mean, just life has been tough. But in your case, when I saw this picture, it's not that there was anything wrong with the other picture, but I saw you like 12 years later and it's like you're the best version of yourself, right? You have aged in reverse. And you look legitimately look like a different human being. And I don't know what that is. If maybe it was just (laughs) the college scene or whatever else, but life has been good to you. And I say that because I think you've been able to engineer a life where you're able to focus on what's important. And one of those things has to be your physical health. I mean, it's just, it's gotta be part of that. And so we have the luxury, we have the freedom of doing that because to some varying degree, we are able to reclaim an aspect of that control in our
1: life. Yeah, it is amazing actually to to see that picture and you're right. Like I I feel better. I think I look better even though I'm just about 40 and it's crazy. When you live this wonderful life of abundance where there's not that much stress where you can have friends and family around and and spend time doing the things you want. Life is pretty good, you know. I'm I'm not going to have that 30-year looking like a zombie type thing. I mean, that's just not in the cards for me. And this actually, in a a weird way, ties into what Pete said about about doing hard things. And I just wanted to read a couple little quotes here, because I just thought this was so important that we couldn't miss it here in the roundup. He said, that's pretty much the secret to everything. You get happier when you do things that are challenging to you. He said, there's a curve and a sweet spot of effort, exertion, and difficulty. I pretty much need to do something difficult every day. That's the biggest revelation of the first 13 years of retirement. No difficulty means not a good day. I go to bed less happy those days, so I make sure I get out for that hour walk, a workout. And if I go to the grocery store, I'm not going to take a motor vehicle because it's too easy. And then finally he said, the whole secret to a good human life is pretty much do hard stuff and embrace it. And I just thought that was really neat. What, a, what an interesting insight from 13 years of retirement. If he didn't do something difficult that day, it was not a good day. I and mean, Jonathan, that's astounding to me.
0: And the last thing I wanted to, to talk about just in passing is, is retirement. Just because Pete leans on this a lot. Like um, he has <laughs> uh, in a very well-documented way, both identified and um, debated the internet retirement police on the, am I retired yet? You know, type of mentality. And I only say that to say that I got an email from someone recently saying that I would really like it. If you guys would actually do a couple shows dedicated to drawdown strategy, how people are actually navigating, practically navigating, drawing down on their retirement funds in the absence of additional income, in the absence of additional, and the person said simultaneously to this, they said, "Now I realize that when I pull the early retirement trigger, I will likely be bringing in additional income, so I will." also be doing kind of what, you know, Pete is talking about what other people in the space do. I will likely have other sources of income, but it'd still be nice to hear from individuals that aren't doing that just to see how it's panning out what's happening. And I kind of thought to myself, one, because that individual nailed it so perfectly, they're right. You retire or leave corporate America in your mid thirties. It is almost unimaginable to me that you will never earn another dollar again. I'm almost willing to like guarantee I like bet someone, some very small amount of money, <laughs> mostly because I just don't bet. But, and if I lose, lose small, <laughs> but, but I, I suspect that almost every individual that retires in their thirties and forties will earn some additional source of income over the remainder of their, of their time. So that's just one. But aside from that, It doesn't mean that the premise isn't valuable. In fact, that's one of the greatest gifts that Big Earn from Early Retirement Now has given to us is the hardcore in-depth studies he's doing over at earlyretirementnow.com. I think the math is so incredible and it's so difficult to look at all timelines and then be able to do some sort of future projections that will account for almost any outcome. He's done that but the larger point is that i would like to be able to identify case studies of what people are actually doing regardless of whether or not they're bringing in additional income i'd like to co- carve out a couple shows each year to highlight different case studies we've started a new choosefi cohort group that you can join it's called choosefi tactics techniques and drawdowns you can access it from the choosefi local page choosefi.com/local and then there's a cohort group up on the top right and i i want to tell you that in this group, it is very curated. Every post has moderator approval on it. And it's there's very little repetition. They're actively identifying new case studies and trying to identify tactics and techniques that would be used in these particular situations. And I plan with Brad, sorry, Brad, I know I'm kind of sandbagging you here. I've been talking to William about it, (laughs) Uh, but I plan on then extracting some of those different Uh, case studies out and allowing us to draw from them and talk about them in some capacity on the show, because I think the conversation, you know, is is really, really valuable to your point earlier. We spend a lot of time, you know, an equal amount of time talking about mindset these days, because it is so powerful, but we, you never want to abandon the numbers, right? Because ultimately that's why we get so excited because it is, It's doable. It's replicable. It's just based on math. If you can arm yourself with enough information, then the goal is to then autopilot it. So then you don't have to use your mental bandwidth on it. You just know that it works, but you've done your due diligence or someone has done their due diligence to give you that information ahead of time. So you can feel more confident in your choice. And as we kind of go back to themes that we've talked about earlier in the earlier episodes of this show, and as we kind of go forward with some of these new tactics and techniques, I think that's ultimately the goal to make you feel more confident about the choice that you've chosen for yourself by highlighting individuals that have actually done this in their own specific situation. So anyways, for those of you that are hearing this, interested in that group, it's brand new activity. is just going to probably start ramping up over the next couple of weeks. Go to choose slash local. You can find a local group in your area, people that are on this path in your own city, and you can find this uh, specialized group where we're actually talking about techniques and strategies. All right. Well, let's go ahead and switch gears here and bring in some feedback from the community. And uh, to help us th- with this, we got uh, Zach on the call with us. Zach, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. Now, what do you got for us today? All right. First up, we have a voicemail from Christy wondering about the definition of compounding.
2: Hey, guys, my name's Christy, and we were just batting this idea around in the Facebook group yesterday in terms of the definition of the word compounding. Um, I think literally compounding means when you have interest added to a principal and then you earn interest on the interest and the principal, as in a savings account or a CD. But I hear it all the time referencing stock earnings. And then, oddly enough, you guys used it several times in today's episode. I'm referring to if this had compounded over time or how much would you have gained if that had been able to compound. And with the exception of dividends being reinvested, my understanding is that that's then not traditional compounding. That what's happening is your stock's value are increasing over time and you're earning more in that way. But it's not compounding in the traditional sense with the exception of dividends being included in what you're reinvesting and then earning on. So I guess I'm just wondering if you can tease out the difference between compounding in a bank account when you have interest added to principal and this sort of more general vague term of compounding as it relates to stock appreciation, capital gains, stock growth category. Because I'm thinking we're using the term to represent two different things. Thanks so much. You guys are awesome. Love the show.
0: Christy, this is an awesome question. Really, it's more of a a correction, right? And I think you're right. I think uh, you can kind of fly by the seat of your pants sometimes with the terms that you use. And I think when you do take the second to slow down, it's useful for everybody just to have a baseline for the the language that's being used. I do try to use the word capital appreciation often to talk about uh, projected returns. But I think if I were to be honest and reflect back, there have certainly been times where I have used the word compounding interchangeably, compounding investments, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure you could find examples of that. And maybe even in the case of Brad, although he's usually a half hair more accurate <laughs> <laughs> than I am. But I think if we're gonna talk about compounding in general and what we're trying to describe here, the clearly the best example and the most accurate example of compounding is interest, right? So interest on a loan, or in your case, maybe a bank account, if you're receiving some form of interest on that, on that savings, that is a pure example of this. But it does also relate to your investments as well. In that investments, they have a total return of maybe somewhere around 8% a year, you know, hopefully, but that return is made up of two pieces. It's made up of capital appreciation where the, the investment actually grows. And, And in many cases, a part of that total return is also dividends. Dividends are a pure example of compounding. Total return is probably a more accurate, phrase to use, but essentially it's, it's coming to the same thing. But I think the larger point is to really talk about why compounding is such an incredibly powerful vehicle and why we love talking about the power of total returns over an investing lifetime.
1: Yeah, I agree, Jonathan, completely. Chrissy, this is a wonderful question. And yeah, we probably do maybe misuse the terms or conflate it a little bit. Clearly, when we're talking about stocks, it's total return. So there is some element of compounding. By reinvesting dividends, you then have more shares, and then presumably the dividends will be higher in the future, and you just keep buying more and more shares. So I think there is that aspect of compounding, but certainly a large portion of it is capital appreciation. So yes, you are unquestionably right with that. But yeah, as Jonathan said, let's just talk about compounding generally because I think this is something that we throw around and a lot of people just assume that everybody knows what that means, but it's not entirely intuitive at all. So I think I just kind of mocked up an example here of... Some fictitious account. Okay, so I've got. Let's just say this is a bank account paying ten percent just for the, the the bank
0: of dad. <laughs> yeah,
1: <really. laughs> I wish I could find a bank paying ten percent. So let's say you start with one hundred thousand dollars on you know year zero on day one in essence, and you're doing this for twenty years. Let's assume the non-compounding example where you have a hundred thousand dollars. They pay you at the end of each year for twenty years. They pay you. So that's $10,000. And you just keep accumulating that money. So over the 20 years, you've been paid out that $10,000 20 times. Okay. So that's an extra $200,000. When you add to your original 100,000, that gets you to $300,000 total. Okay. So this is the non-compounding example. This is just straight interest. You're adding it into your account and that's all you have left. There's no compounding going on whatsoever. It's just the 10% on the original 100,000. And I think they call that simple interest. Yep, that sounds exactly right. And, and now when we're talking about compounding, at first, it's only ever so slightly different. But the magic of this and why we talk about this over an investing lifetime, over 30, 40, 50 years, is because of how much this just exponentially increases at the end. So let's look at compounding. So what happens here is in that very first year, you're paid 10% of your original hundred thousand. All right. So ten thousand bucks gets added in. But then that next year, you have hundred and ten thousand dollars. Okay. And they pay you ten percent of that. So that's eleven thousand dollars. So now you're up to a hundred and twenty-one thousand, right? Because you've added eleven thousand to that hundred and ten. So now 121000 again, is multiplied by 10%, and you get an extra 12100 It's only $2,100 extra over what you would have gotten. But still, that's not nothing, right? I mean, that's a significant amount. And what happens is when you do that every single year for these 20 years, now keep in mind, you would have had $300,000 based on that simple interest calculation. But when you compound it, And even though it started small, right, it's only a 1000 bucks that second year extra, when you get down to 20 years, the total amount you have is $672,750. That's $372,000 in change extra over what you would have had just based on the simple interest calculation. That is the power of compounding. And that, Jonathan, is only over 20 years. Imagine that over 40, 50, 60 years. I mean, it's astronomical. The numbers are truly astounding. And that is why compounding interest is such a crucial, crucial concept to understand. I really like the big numbers. Can you run it over 40 and give me the, give me the total there.
0: (laughs) Does your calculator handle that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Jonathan. So over 40 years now, keep in mind, you would have $500,000 total over the simple interest calculation, right? So just 10,000 a year for 40 years, is 400K plus the initial 100,000. So 500,000. So that's our baseline. But in the compounding example, you would have $4.5 million.
0: (laughs) Now, now, in the Barrett household, Anna is acutely aware of the math. I mean, she's building bricks in the wall. And she's thinking 60-year timeline here, 10% bank of dad. (laughs) I think she's going to break you. What would would
1: that be for her? (laughs) Oh, man. So right, over 60 years, you would have 700,000 in the Uh, Simple interest calculation, but using compounding, you would have $30,400,000.
0: Anna, in one of the early episodes, had a stated goal of buying a national park.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She might just get there.
0: But I guess the larger point here is, you know, I I completely agree with Christy's point. Be accurate with language. It really matters. But you're going to be able to get, you know, you can't get 10% interest on your checking account. Gosh, I can't even get 1% on my checking account, right? It's hard. Savings account, maybe slightly better, maybe 2% market rates these days, maybe all the way up to 2.5 or 3%. You can't get 10, but you can pretty reliably, you know, and maybe not over a one year or two year period, but over a, any 20 or 30 or 40 year investing timeline, you can pretty reliably get 8% total returns. And that is a life changing number right there. Over If you're saving 50% of your income and you're investing a significant portion of that, into an investment vehicle that is getting you 8% returns over 20, 30, 40 years, it is an incredible amount of money. And so what we want to do is if we're paycheck to paycheck now, it's going to be difficult to go to a 50% savings rate. But we want to make a change today that will allow us to remove ourselves from that one paycheck financial cliff and over time, bring that control to our side of the court. It's not binary, the pursuit of financial independence. Every single week that you take action, that you take money that was potentially just going to stuff and reallocate that to saving for your this future life, right, is bringing the power to your side of the court. Next, Brad, I wanted to take a second and hop into the mailbag here. We got this uh, question from Bever. And his question is without being judgy, where is the line between cheap and frugal, right? I mean, when you're, when you're trying to save 50, when you're trying to hit a 50% savings rate, you're going to have to work through that at some point in order to create that space. And I think many people, there's probably like a low level question as they're sifting through that. How do I know when I'm making intentional
1: decisions and when I'm just being cheap, And first, a big shout out to this question. He's constantly asking amazing questions in our Facebook group. So a huge thank you. And yeah, there were some really cool answers in here. And Deborah had a nice answer here. She said, cheap encroaches on others, i.e. not leaving enough tip. Whereas frugal is saving money, but you're flexible too. You know when to splurge, but you choose not to on most occasions because you like to save money. And I think that's kind of how I look at it. Being cheap is almost missing the forest for the trees. It's, it's looking at every little penny and not looking at the larger picture of not only your own happiness and, and what you're doing to yourself by, by focusing on these tiny little micro things, but potentially how it impacts other people. Whereas frugal is an intentional life choice. And in my own life, for instance, we have built a framework of a life that just simply doesn't cost that much, and then we can spend lavishly where we want to. So I think I'm generally frugal, but it allows me to be extremely generous and lavish, frankly, in in certain instances where we find value. So I think that's where I come down, Jonathan. What about you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I am barely, I am reluctantly frugal. I mean, that's kind of like my my entire claim. I love what Deborah said that you just brought up about encroaching on others because when I feel like I'm taking advantage of somebody or another individual, or sometimes even a business, to me, I'm just like, I can't go that far. So that's like my internal bias. Like, am I, I hadn't really, she, she used much better words than, than I did in this case. So kudos to you, but certainly I look at what I can control and how it affects other people. So I try to make more intentional decisions in my own personal life that create a structural framework that just doesn't cost as much. But if I do go to a restaurant, I'm going to leave a generous tip. And honestly, I think the larger point is it doesn't come down to not spending any money. It comes down to spending money on things that you value. I'm going to read a post that military dollar left in the Facebook group, kind of addressing the same thing. And she did a much better job than I did just in this moment. And so I think it's worth exploring. She says, you know, in the group, I see comments occasionally about that's not a very fi quote unquote thing to do when someone talks about spending money on something optional. And a reminder that this group is about values-based spending. If you want to spend money on something you value, she makes a case that is an extremely FI thing to do. So, and this is the perfect case study for what she did. And it ties to, I think, what we're all kind of talking about these days with the Playing with Fire documentary. Here's how I spent my FI filled weekend attending the Playing with Fire premiere in San Diego. It started with buying last minute plane tickets. I found round trip tickets for 17,000 points on Southwest. So the flight was only $11.20 for the fees. I had those points because I learned how to use travel rewards in episode nine of the podcast, which you guys definitely should listen to if you haven't heard that yet. Of course, she also bought a ticket to the premiere. She sprang for the VIP ticket that included a signed copy of the book. She also used points to book a nice hotel room that was a nice walking distance from the theater. 50,000 Marriott Bonvoy points seemed like a lot, but it was the best deal in the area. And she valued being close to the location. On Friday night, my dinner was paid for through the Uber credit I get on my Amex Platinum. So you can use that credit for Uber Eats. On Saturday, I went to brunch with four members of this community. Over three hours, we talked about our lives, our money, in this community. I spent forty five dollars because I splurged on fresh beignets. Did I say beignets right, Brad?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think beignets.
0: Beignets. Okay, I'm back in with house lemon curd for the table. Totally worth it. After brunch, a few of us headed to the USS Midway to take in some military history. Free for me. Plus, my companions received a small discount since I'm military. And after that, we headed to the premiere and had a great time, I may have even taken a few stickers, you know, and she mentions a few other things that throughout the evening, she spent some additional money on parking appetizers. We all went out to a local bar after the movie premiere and like her total cost for that weekend was $179 and 67,000 points on not quite two days of fun camaraderie exploration and good food. Now she said that may sound like too much to some of you because it isn't something you value. That's Okay. I value the heck out of it and I'm flying home with a smile on my face and great memories with friends knowing I'm living the life I want in an optimized way. That is what FI is all about. And Brad, that's completely it. I mean, she's found that line in her life. She knows what she values because she spent a substantial amount of time thinking about it. She's cultivating community in her own life and she's leveraging the bandwidth that she has to make the purchases that she's making in the most optimized way possible. That's kind of the sweet spot.
1: Yeah, this is the perfect post. And just, yeah, huge thanks to Military Dollar for putting this out there. And and I'm glad we got a chance to read it here on the podcast. This is what our community is about. It's about intentional spending and intentional living. It's not about deprivation and frugality. It's as simple as that.
0: And speaking of simple, learning travel rewards historically has been kind of an arduous thing. We tried to simplify it with our episode nine of the podcast, but information does change from time to time. And we wanted to create a resource for our community a way that you could streamline this information and start taking action on it immediately to learn how to travel for nearly free to virtually anywhere in the world, we have a free course that we've put together. You can access that at com slash travel, com slash travel. Highly recommend that you check that out this week and get started on your travel journey today. All right, guys. So as you know, we are supporting the Playing With Fire documentary screening tour. We think it's one of the best things that we can do to promote this concept of financial independence around the world. Playing With Fire documentary had a sold out premiere in San Diego and also in San Francisco. After we mentioned the DC screening last week that was yesterday, that one sold out as well. And a huge thanks to the volunteers for really stepping up to that occasion. It was an absolutely incredible event and we were so excited to be able to be a part of it. Seattle also was able to get enough volunteers to help with that event. Atlanta has a premier event on the 29th. If you're interested in helping volunteer at the Atlanta premiere, please send us a message at feedback at choose or tag myself or Ed or Jennifer in the local group that you're in. We would love your help with that. And also come if you, we would love for you to be at that Atlanta premiere uh, It is going to be in a fantastic event. Now this isn't just about the big events. If you're wanting to see this documentary, I'm sure at some point down the road, this will be available on a major platform like Netflix or Amazon. I'm sure this will get mainstream distribution, but I'm telling you If at all possible, you want to watch this with your community. You will want to go to the theaters to see this. It will take a great movie and turn it into a great experience. It's absolutely worth the, maybe the effort to get the babysitter, maybe the effort to, you know, find a way to get there with your spouse or friend or whatever. It will start a conversation that could transform maybe your life, maybe their life. It will start a conversation in a way that just maybe watching it from your living room just simply can't. So join us, be a part of this. And I only say that to say that there are probably 20 or so other screenings that are happening around the country where people in your community think that this would be valuable, think that it's important for the community and they need your help. And so as the dates kind of approach and get a little bit closer, we're trying just to mention them to promote awareness around these events. So if you're there and you had been meaning to, but life got in the way, go join them, be there for this event. So Maui and Hawaii and Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, the deadline to hit their ticket threshold is on the 16th of this month. So I believe that is uh, just within the next day or so. Make sure if you were thinking about going and you haven't done that yet, go ahead and get those tickets ASAP. Chooseify Austin as in Austin, Texas, and also Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, there has been a screening that has been organized there. The deadline to hit their ticket threshold is on the 18th. They would love your support for this. It would be fantastic to go and hit that. And then there are also screenings in Nashville, Tennessee, Milford, Connecticut, Anchorage, Alaska, San Antonio, Texas, Birmingham, Alabama, Ammon, Indiana, Rochester, Minnesota, Brookfield, Wisconsin, and Long Beach, California. Those are all the screening that the deadlines are coming up in the next couple of weeks. They need to hit their ticket threshold in order for this to happen. If you didn't hear the screening that, you know, you're a part of on this, we're just mentioning the ones where the ticket deadlines are coming up a little bit faster and we'll kind of keep a running tally of those just so our audience is aware of those. Um, the one place that you can go to find out all the screenings that are in place or to request one in your city is choose tug. T U G G chooseify.com slash tug T U G G. And that'll take you to the playing with fire website where they are showing all the available screenings. Definitely join one in your local area. If you are thinking about starting a screening, I would highly encourage you to give yourself as much time as possible to hit that ticket threshold. Uh, there's no charge to anybody unless the ticket threshold is actually hit, but I would suggest you pick a screening towards the end of July, because as these screenings start filling up, and kind of awareness around it is building on social media, more and more people will start asking about joining one. So just give yourself as much time as possible to hit that ticket threshold. So this can actually happen for you guys. Well, unfortunately, that's going to bring this episode to a close. Now, as you know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. There's three books that we offer. The first is JL Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth. The second is Dominic Cortuccio's book, Design Your Future. And the third book from Vincent Baglisi, Freelance to Freedom. If you want to enter the drawing, all you need to do is just go to chooseifycom slash iTunes, follow the instructions there, and leave us a short written review on either iTunes or Stitcher. Send us an email to feedback at choosify.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under and then we give away one book for every five written reviews that we get, and we announce a winner on the Friday Roundup. Brad, how many winners do we have today?
1: All right, Jonathan, we have one winner today, and the winner is Jordan. And Jordan said, late last year, a friend and I were talking about investing and travel rewards, and he shared the Choose a Five podcast with me. It's been awesome to read, listen, and be a part of a movement that's really about living more intentionally. I smiled the other day while listening to the podcast on my bike ride to work, realizing how quickly My habits have changed thanks to the mindset of FI. I'm living healthier and saving money by riding my bike when I can, playing board games with friends, putting at least half of my income towards my student loans, taking full advantage of my 401k match, and overall focusing time on things that matter. Thanks for the great show, Brad and Jonathan.
0: All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down
1: the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.